You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Over the last few weeks, uh, I've been talking to you about five must-have gifts, and many of you have probably already opened up your Christmas gifts, or you're going to when you get home today. Uh, And we all experience the anticipation, the joy, and excitement of exchanging and opening gifts uh, on this day. There are things that we had on our list that we'll probably get, and then there's other things on the list that you might not get this year. But one thing is certain, there is one gift we must absolutely and surely have, and that um, uh, one gift is Jesus in our life. My previous message is focused on the, in the weeks of Advent, on the aspects of Jesus' story that brought hope, joy, love, and peace into our lives. But none of those things are possible if we don't have this one last gift. Now, the word Advent means arrival or anticipation of the arrival, and it's anticipating and appreciating the day we celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world, his incarnation. Our Christmas celebration should take time to remember that it's Jesus' birth that we're celebrating, and everything else revolves around it. We must have this gift of Jesus in our life. Everything else is possible only if we have Christ in our heart. Have you ever forgotten a gift? You ever get ready to travel, and maybe you're going to a birthday party, and maybe you're going to Christmas at someone's house, and about halfway on the road trip, you realize you forgot someone's gift. And the panic that ensues after that moment of realization And that forgetting that one gift kind of just ruins everything, doesn't it? Well, the same thing is true here. The main gift, the most important gift of Christmas, is Jesus. I mean, even the name of the holiday is called the Christ Mass. The Mass is was a service to honor Christ. So if you leave that out, you've missed the whole point of the holiday. Without understanding of who Christmas is about, its meaning will be lost on you. It's like the person who doesn't like Christmas. Now, there are people like that. Maybe you are that person. I don't know. I'm guessing not because you're here. If you don't like Christmas, you're probably not sitting in the service today. But we all know people who don't like Christmas. To them, the music is annoying, the decorations are tacky, and the crowds are unbearable. They can't wait for Christmas to be over because they don't enjoy it, and they can't understand what the big deal is all about. Part of the reason is because they don't have any connection to it. The reason why Christmas is such a big deal to Christians is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's a big deal not because of the decorations. It's not because of the festive music. It's not because we get to dress up. The connection with us is because this day connects us with Jesus, the Son of God who kept, came to set me free from my sins. And because I'm grateful for him setting me free from my sins, I want to rejoice. I want to show my gratitude in a tangible way. And that is the connection that makes this whole celebration meaningful, at least to me. But if you don't have that connection, it's like going to a birthday party for someone that you don't know and have no connection with. Perhaps you've been invited to a party, 
or a birthday for someone that you didn't know, but it was someone your spouse knew, someone your friend knew, and you're kind of there, but you're not there. You're like, that's great that all this is happening, but I have no connection to it, so to me, I could take it or leave it. We need to understand that there's a connection here that we need to have. This is why we need this gift. It's the gift of Christ that brings the whole Christmas season together. Without him, the kindness, the charity, the goodwill of men towards one another would not even exist. So it's important that you make sure you have this gift. Out of all the other gifts I've talked about, it's really important that you have this one. Let's take a look at a passage of Scripture today. It's found in 1 John 5, verses 1 through 12. And this passage tells us and talks to us about the gift that we need to have, the gift of the Son of God, which is Jesus Christ. Now, how does one acquire this gift? How do you get this gift? Do you have to put it on layaway? Do you have to make a list? Do you have to, like, somehow request it in advance and it gets shipped to you? No, this gift is something that we acquire by faith. So why must we have Jesus? Let's take a look at the passage of Scripture together, and we're just going to kind of walk through it slowly. I'll be looking at the passage in the New American Standard Bible here. But let's take a look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, for we love God and follow his commandments. Now right off the bat, the Apostle John, who wrote this book, starts off by defining what it means to be born of God. It's the one that believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. That's how you're born of God. Then he goes on to say that if you love God, you must also love the one that is born of God, the Son of God, Jesus. So part of the connection here is that uh, if we are born of God, we must say that we love God. There must be a genuineness to our love for the Lord. And that's one of the key indicators of whether or not you are a Christian. Everyone says they love God. In fact, a lot of people say they believe in God. And do you think, well, okay, they believe in God. That must mean they're a Christian. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're a Christian and they share your faith. If you want to find out where they're really at, if they have the same faith as you, ask them, do you love Jesus? Or the question, who is Jesus to you? And if that person hesitates or struggles to answer anything less than he's my Lord and Savior, and I love him, then they probably haven't been born again yet. John writes that if you love, you say that you love God the Father, then you must also love his children, not just the Son of God, Jesus. But if you are born again, you love the children of God, and his children are fellow Christians. It means that you love those who belong to his church, and you treat them with love, grace, patience, and kindness. Now, the expression of that love towards God and other Christians is done by keeping God's commandments, by following Jesus' commandments of loving your neighbor, praying for your enemies, forgiving those who have wronged you, etc. You are showing your love towards others. And this is the litmus test as to whether or not you are truly saved and born again, 
is how you think of Jesus and how you treat other people. You can't be an awful person and be a Christian. I don't care what anybody says. You can't be a terrible person and be a Christian at the same time. If you say you love God but hate your brother, then you're not really living out the love of God in your heart. You can't mistreat others and adequately represent Jesus Christ. Let's continue on. Verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, sometimes we're like, well, going to church means I just follow rules. And that's one of the reasons why I don't go to church is because it's all about rules and regulations. That's not entirely true. Now, we should follow God's commands when it comes to our life, but it's not as though these commands are burdensome. It means that they are not difficult or even unreasonable. Christianity doesn't require great feats of devotion and piety in order to acquire faith or God's favor. Your love for God doesn't have to be shown by a pilgrimage or self-injury or some lofty quest in order to demonstrate your love for God. No, the love for God is easily demonstrated in faithfulness to his commands, which involve the worship of God and the treatment of others. The Ten Commandments cover this, about worshiping God and treating others well. In fact, when Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments in Scripture, he said the two greatest commandments are this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbors as yourself. Though, he says, in this, all of the scriptures, all the old covenant is encapsulated in those two commands. What God asks us to do is not difficult or burdensome unless you make it so. These are not unreasonable things he asks us to do, but things that are all within our ability to do and accomplish. It doesn't mean you'll always like following his commands. But when you love someone, you are willing to do things that they ask you in order to please them. And even though these commands are somewhat challenging to us, loving your neighbor, uh, praying for those who persecute you, forgiving those who have wronged you, even though they're hard in our own nature to do, the word promises us that the Holy Spirit will help us to do them. Now, let's take a look at verses 4 through 6. It says, For whoever been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. Now, he talks about it and says, well, who has overcome the world, the one who has been born of God. Born again means salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean to overcome the world? It speaks of the effects of sin, the world's system, and doing things according to the world's teachings. What, what does the Christian do to overcome it? How does it help to overcome it? Our faith helps us to overcome sin, the world's system, and the world's teachings. What has helped us to overcome its teachings? Our faith. The one who overcomes is the world is the one who believes in Jesus. This is more than just believing in Jesus. James chapter 1 says, Even the demons believe there is a God and tremble. So believing in God alone is not it. 
But this belief is about trusting in the one who came by water and blood. Now, this is a little strange part of the passage. You might say to yourself, well, I don't understand what he's talking about. But what is the water and the blood? Well, the Apostle John wrote the book of 1 John to refute the testimony of false teachers who were trying to tell the church that Jesus was not the Christ, he was not the Son of God, and he didn't come in bodily form, but rather it was just something that was spiritual and it didn't actually happen. And so the Apostle John, who was the disciple John before Jesus was taken up into heaven, writes about this to warn the church. And he says, you know, if you're wondering, if you hear anybody coming to you and saying, you know, Jesus is not the Son of God, and you don't need to believe in him for salvation, the old covenant's good enough. And those were people right within the churches and the fellowships that he was part of. He said, if you hear someone saying that, here's how you can respond to it. Uh, here are three witnesses, if you will, in the case for the sonship and the lordship of Jesus. And so the three witnesses are this, the water, the blood, and the spirit. Now, in the Old uh, Covenant law, the Old Testament law, in order for a matter to be established in court, in order for it to be considered true, it needed two or three witnesses to defend it. Bible scholar Charles Elliott writes this about the meaning. The water speaks to us about Jesus' baptism in water, where the Father spoke and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. It testified to him being God's Son. John the Baptist's baptism was one of repentance, a seal of the Old Covenant law, reaffirming that Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. So that speaks to the water. So the water has to do with Jesus' baptism, where the God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Believe in him. So it is a testimony from heaven affirmed by the Father and by the Holy Spirit descending upon him that he is indeed the Son of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now, in regards to the blood, it says this. The blood speaks of the atoning death of Jesus for our sins. The cross reminds us that our sins have a price. Your sin has a price tag associated with it. Our sins are not harmless. If left unatoned for, they would condemn us to hell. So serious were my sins and your sins that Jesus went to the cross for them. And he was beaten and crucified that our sins might be atoned for. And he paid for our forgiveness, both yours and mine, with his own life and his blood. When a person denies that they have sinned, it means that they have not accepted their part in Jesus' crucifixion. But the blood testifies to something different. It stands in stark contrast to anyone's contention that their sin isn't hurting anyone, and it doesn't really cost anything. In fact, that's something you'll hear in the world. What you do in the privacy of your own home, what you do with your life, is okay as long as you are not hurting anyone else. But the cross reminds us that our sin indeed had a penalty associated with it, and it did hurt someone. It testifies against us. If we were sinless and without guilt, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. And we can't say that we are without sin. I can't say that I've never sinned. Can you honestly sit here and say you've never lied? You've never stolen. You've never cheated. You've never gossiped. 
You've never let a harsh word come out of your mouth. You've never wished harm upon somebody. If any of those things have applied to you in some way, then yes, we have all sinned in some way. We have done those things which were considered sinful. There was only one person that was perfectly sinless, and that person was Jesus. When we say that we're good people, we're usually comparing ourselves to bad people. Which, by that comparison, it's easy. By that comparison, we all look really good. Compared to your drunk uncle, or compared to the person in prison, you look like a saint. And you say, well, see, I'm a good person. But that's not the standard. The standard is Jesus. God made it clear what a good person looks like. That good person is Jesus. And unless you are like him... In terms of you've never done anything wrong, you've never said anything wrong, you never thought anything wrong, then chances are, guess what? Like me, you're sinful. But God doesn't judge us compared to other people. He judges us compared to the sinless life of his son, Jesus Christ. And by that standard, we all fall short. Because Jesus died on the cross for us, it shows that we still needed to be saved. The cross stands as exhibit A uh, in the case against us and our sin. Now let's continue on. Verse 6 through 11. So we see the first two witnesses are the water and the blood. The water of baptism, the blood of the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. But there is a third witness, and it is the Spirit. It is the Spirit that testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of people, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he is testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. And the one that does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life in his son. The third witness of Jesus being the Christ is the Holy Spirit. When Jesus came, he ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at baptism in the river, in the river Jordan in the symbol of a dove. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to his disciples when he sent them out to minister. The scriptures tell us that all of the Bible were written when holy men were inspired by and, and carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to his disciples when he sent them out to minister. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell and empowered Jesus' disciples to share the message of Christ with the world. It is the Holy Spirit that guides, directs, convicts us of sin, and shows us how to serve God better. So the Holy Spirit is the third witness that testifies that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now these three witnesses testify and tell us who Christ is, but it also tells us who is truly saved and born again. It tells us who are truly Christians. A Christian that follows the Lord's command will be baptized in water. Not because baptism in water saves you, but because it testifies to others, yes, I'm a Christian, and I'm not ashamed to say that I am. So that's the water that is the witness in the life of the Christian. 
a Christian that recognizes the blood of Jesus that has saved them, and without them they were lost and in need of salvation, that Christian is born again. A Christian who is led by the Holy Spirit every day and testifies to others about what Jesus has done in their life, that person has the Spirit of God within them. Just as these three things testify that Jesus is Christ, so also these three things testify whether we are truly saved, whether we are truly Christians or not. Let's look at the last part of our chapter today. Are you still with me? You're not bored yet? Christmas dinner is waiting for you or Christmas lunch? Hopefully you have somebody watching that bird in the oven. Let's take a look at the last verse in our chapter today. Verse 12. It says, The one who has the Son has the life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. In other words, if you have the Son, you have Jesus, then you have life. If you do not have the Son, then you do not have life. This is not about physical life, but eternal life. Life forever in heaven after you die. If you don't have Jesus, then you don't have eternal life. You may hope that there is life after death. You may even think that, you know, one day when you die, you'll go to heaven. Why? And the reason we always give is, well, I'm a good person. I haven't really hurt anybody. I haven't done anything wrong. If you talk to anybody, all of a sudden, everybody believes in heaven at a funeral. Ever notice that? Even people who didn't, never went to church, never were spiritual people a day in their life, they're like, well, they're in a better place and they're looking down on us today. How do you know that? I thought you didn't believe in God. I thought you didn't have faith in the Christian teaching. All of a sudden, we are all cognizantly aware and all of a sudden are all Christians at funerals. Why? Because there's heaven and we hope that it's there and we hope to believe in it. But if you don't follow Jesus, you have no guarantees. In fact, if you follow most religions of the world, there's not even really a promise of heaven. There's an incentive of heaven, and if you're good enough, maybe the God or gods that you serve will deem you worthy enough to inherit some form of eternal life. Whether it's reincarnation, whether it's a state of eternal bliss, and maybe they'll judge you according to it, and maybe you'll get to heaven. Christianity is one of the few religions in the world that guarantee you that if you have faith and you follow Jesus, you will have eternal life. There's not a question. It's not debatable. It's not even something that you can kind of say, well, I'm not sure about it. If you believe in the Son, Jesus said, whoever believes in the Son will have life. Jesus gives us the promise of eternal life, but it's not just eternal life we're looking forward to. It's the promise to help us in this life as well. He doesn't simply save us, you pray a prayer, you never go to church again, and you have eternal life like you have some insurance policy that when you finally die, you can hand and say, hey, I have an insurance policy, let me in. It's so much more than that, and if you can get a hold of the fact that being a Christian and following Jesus is more than just fire insurance to keep you from going to hell, your life will be so much better. Because you'll live life with a newfound appreciation. You'll live life with God's Spirit at work within you. And life will have purpose and meaning that it didn't have before. Jesus gives us peace. He gives us guidance. He gives us direction and help. We can pray to Him. 
and he will listen and he will answer. I will uh, preface that by saying sometimes his answer is not always yes. But sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's just wait. Jesus will assist us in ministering to people and touching lives. When Jesus gets a hold of your life, it will change it forever and people will see the difference. Jesus is the key that unlocks the door to hope, love, joy, and the peace of God. He is the missing piece that brings the picture of life all together. Not the life we live, but the life God created for us to live. I can't emphasize it enough. You need this gift. More than any gift that you can see in your uh, history on Amazon. More than the next recommended gift that's on Walmart after you bought something. You need this gift more than any other gift during this Christmas. If you, can't, if you don't have Jesus, you can't give him to others. Without Jesus, church is just a ritual. People won't understand why you go. They'll just consider you to be a religious person. And I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had growing up where they go, oh, you're religious, you're religious. That's all they'll see if they don't see Jesus. You're just a person who's spiritual. You're just a person who was raised in church, so that's what you do, and you go to church. They will not understand the fixation and the fascination with it. People won't understand why you go to church. If they ask you why you go and your answer doesn't center around your love for God, then following Jesus will just seem like religion to them. Bring them to Jesus and then bring them to church. Amen? Bring them to Jesus first and then bring them to church. The church is the means by which we follow Jesus more closely. It's the means, not an end. I would rather have you know Jesus sincerely than just sit here and attend with no knowledge of who God is truly. When you know Jesus and you truly know Jesus, you can't help but be excited about it and you can't help but make others excited about it. But if you can't articulate why you love Jesus and who he is to you, then no one will ever understand your fascination with him. So tell him why he's important to you. Tell them that he died for your sins. Tell them that he rose again. Tell them because of Jesus in your life, you have a new life. You have peace. You have forgiveness. You have God's direction in your life. And your life is different now because he is the reason. I want to wrap up this message with this thought. Maybe you don't like Christmas. And I know that seems like a crazy thought to some. But you might not like it for one reason or another. Maybe Christmas was not celebrated in your home, and for you it's just another day. Or maybe you dislike it because of all the busyness and the stress and the activities that accompany the holiday, and you can't wait for it to be other, over. Listen, I understand that. There's times where Christmas is incredibly stressful. Some days you're like, you know, when it's over, that will be good. Because all the things that you had to do and leading up to it, when it's over, you're like, ah, finally I can breathe. It's done. Or perhaps your holiday is not filled with joy, but painful memories of an abusive home. Maybe Christmas reminds you of loneliness. Maybe you don't have family to celebrate it with. And while everyone else is celebrating in warm homes with their loved ones, 
you find yourself alone again at Christmas. It's cold, it's dark, and lifeless, and you find it discouraging and depressing. Or for you, maybe Christmas is a time of year where you lost a loved one. Your mother, husband, or son, or friend died, and every year you dread Christmas because it brings back all the greed and all the loss of that day over and over again. So it's easy for the Christian to lose sight of Christmas and lose the joy associated with it. It's easy for us who aren't Christians to look at it and go, you know, I don't really see the fascination with it. I don't even like Christmas because of everything that I've been through up to this point has been painful and has been wrong, and there's really nothing to celebrate at this time of the year. But this is not what Christmas is all about. What if God gave you a new understanding of Christmas? One that isn't connected with all those negative things that I mentioned, but rather it connected your connection with Jesus and what he's done for you. I believe that it would give you a new appreciation for what Christmas is truly all about. Because it's not connected with where you have been or what you have gone through, but upon the life that you can have in Jesus Christ. It's not connected with your past. It's connected to what God offers you today that you can have in Jesus. It's important that you have this gift. This gift will remind you of the importance of that day. It's like the engagement ring I gave to my wife in Christmas of 1997. Every time she looks at it, she will remember what that day meant. And every day I wear my wedding ring, I'm reminded of the day that I got married to my wife. And I'll encourage you, spouses, wear your wedding rings. Wives, husbands, wear your wedding rings because it's a symbol of your covenant and your marriage agreement to that person. It should be a constant reminder. Don't give me it doesn't fit anymore. There's places that can resize those or you can get a tungsten one from Amazon for eight bucks, okay? So don't give me that. Oh, it doesn't fit me anymore. It's a symbol of your relationship and it should remind you of the gift that you received that day and the commitment you made to each other. Just like that ring reminds her of our engagement, so too Christ will remind us of the significance of what this day is about. I want you to receive a revelation today of who Jesus is, that the gift of God that has been given to us, I want you to know today you need to receive this gift so that you can give it to others. This morning as I wrap up this message, and you've been so kind and patient to listen to me on this Christmas Sunday, I pray these words have spoken to your heart. I believe that God wants to do a healing work in your heart this Christmas. I pray that it's opened your eyes to what this day is truly about, and that you would understand God's love for you and your need to have this gift of salvation. Perhaps you've heard these words of mine today and you realize you have forgotten one gift this Christmas. You might realize that you didn't have this gift of Jesus in your life. But if you don't have him today, but you want him, I want to lead you in a prayer. 
Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. So I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. And if you don't have Jesus in your life, but you want him in your life, I want you to repeat these words with me. Maybe you can just repeat them to yourself. Will you just bow your head and close your eyes with me? And maybe you're watching online too and you're hearing my words today and you can say, you know, I've been to church. But as pastor was talking about what it means to be a Christian, I realized that I don't really have what he's talking about. I don't have that gift that he mentioned. Today is your day to receive a revelation of who God is and the fullness of what Christmas means and the fullness of his love. So as we bow our heads and close our eyes, will you just join me in this prayer to yourself with no one else looking around? Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Today I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now let's keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed for just a moment without no one looking around. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time and you've never prayed a prayer like that before, will you just slip up your hand and say, that was me. Thank you. Anyone else? Before we leave today, on your way out, if you raise your hand, see me. I have a gift for you. I want to give you something and say, hey, you know, I'm so encouraged and so proud of you for taking that step to follow the Lord today. Praying, now you guys can look at me again. Praying that prayer is not the end. It's not the thing that you do and then I'll say, okay, I'm a Christian now. I don't ever have to go to church again. I'll see you at Easter, right? It's not what it's about. What you've decided today is that I want to live with a revelation of who God is, not just today, but every single day of my life. I want to learn more about who Jesus is. I want to grow in my faith, and I want to know the life-changing power that he has for me. So can I encourage you in that? If you haven't gotten one, get a Bible. Go to a Bible study. Start praying. Start looking to God more and walking with him and following him. Please, if you raise your hand, I'm going to be by the door at the end of service. Make sure you see me before you leave. I have something for you. Will you stand with me one more time? I'm going to invite our worship team back as we close this service out this morning. What a blessing it is to be in God's house with God's people on Christmas Day, 2022. And to think about how far we've come from a time where we were not even able to gather together to, to be in a place now where we are here celebrating and worshiping God together. I want us to end this with a celebratory kind of 
attitude and atmosphere as we sing that song that we started off with here because God is all about joy and he wants to bring joy to our life. So will you sing this song with me one more time? I know you know it. You maybe even overdone it a little bit, but we're going to sing joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.